Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Sticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be going over the Thunder Bulls game, a recap on that one, and why I believe that was our best game of the season. I'm going to be breaking down everything that happened in it, our key players in this one, and just the different sorts of playmaking calls that we saw in the crucial moments of this game. So first up, heading into this Bulls game, man, this was without a doubt our greatest win of the season. We ended up taking this game 127 to 125, and it didn't seem like this was even possible during the majority of this game, and I'll just go into that right now. So just kicking things off, I mean, we just couldn't get things going. The Chicago Bulls seemed to have everything down pat, and they started this game on a 10-4 to run. They were hitting three balls. They were getting inside. For OKC, we just couldn't do anything, and our motives were just attacking the basket. We pretty much forgot about the three-pointer that entire first quarter. So we were trying to drive and attack. The Bulls were ready for it. We've kind of been doing that every single game thus far or at least in the past couple games we keep trying to drive but our real bread and butter to start games have actually been from downtown that's where we get our big leads at the beginning and then that's kind of where the the fight starts happening but nope we tried taking it inside and it just was not working and you know we got guys like SGA who yes they can get down low and he's one of the best finishers around the basket but he always ends up getting stuck And then you have players like Darius Baisley, who, to start things out in the first, just was not feeling any sort of rhythm. He shot 0 of 3 in the first quarter, in addition to two turnovers. So he was kind of trying to press the issue, and it just wasn't working too well for the team. But yeah, to start things off, it wasn't looking good, but... The Thunder actually bounced back in the middle of the first on a 12-4 run. And really what happened was Lou Dort was just feeling it from downtown. He hit two threes of his own, and then Roby got in on the mix. But really, this game was kind of all stuck up in this first quarter. The Chicago Bulls did get on a run to close it. Um, Actually, Kobe White in the final minute of the first racked up six points of his own. So stretches it out to a 30-22 Bulls lead. But, you know, it didn't really feel like anybody had a real advantage here. I think the Bulls kind of had more options. So I could see the perspective of the Bulls dominating it early. But the way the scoreboard translated it didn't really I didn't really sense it that way the main factor in the first though and why the Bulls were able to establish their eight point lead was just the three ball they shot four of nine from downtown that's good for 44 percent in that first while the Thunder shot just three of 12 so whenever the drive-ins were just not working that's when we resorted to some three pointers and we just couldn't feel it I think you know, we should be trying to build momentum from the three-point line right after the tip-off, you know? I don't think that's something that we should be addressing after the inside game gets clogged up because the inside game 
it's going to get more opened up if we're feeling it from downtown. I'd rather just get the three ball out of the way if we're feeling it from downtown early on. That's going to open up the paint and open up our options because, hey, if we can still consistently bang home threes throughout the course of the game and then still have good drive-ins because we know we have people like SGA who there's not many people better than him at penetrating, same with Diallo, we know that shot's going to be open. And if we have the three going, we're going to have every piece of the offense we want kind of on fire. And it just wasn't feeling that way i don't know if that's because the order of how we were doing things but we just couldn't really sense much so heading into the second we were down eight and then the bulls continued to just rack up three balls throughout this second quarter and in the opening stages they built up a lead as high as 19 and you know we couldn't return fire with them they had people like zach levine who had the hot hand kobe white I'll go into all those guys later, but just let it be known that these guys were shooting above 50% from three through those first two quarters, so we couldn't stop them. They had way too many options. We just had to wait for some of their main guys to kind of get weaved out of the game, and then it was our course of action, and we went on a 9-0 run, but it just cut that Bulls deficit down to 10, so they had just a gigantic lead that they were sitting upon due to us kind of sleeping on the defensive end and sure we can go on our little mini run but that's not going to change the outcome of this game whenever we're in such a large hole but anyways the Bulls they got their main dudes back in the game and Zach Levine hits two three-pointers and then there was a putback dunk by Patrick Williams to tie up the first half and they were actually up 18 again. So that 9-0 run, you can just throw that in the garbage because they fired back with a run pretty much as big as ours. 68-50 to lead for them. Chicago had four players in double figures by half. They had Zach Levine as their leading scorer with 14. Kobe White, good wingman behind him. He had 12. Wendell Carter Jr. with 11. And Laurie Markkinen from 10. So... As I just mentioned, the three was going, shooting 10 of 18 from there. That opened up a lot inside for players like Wendell Carter Jr. Because Wendell Carter Jr., he doesn't have the stretch ability that these other guys do, such as Levine, Kobe White, and Laurie Markkinen. So just being able to kind of feast down low ended up helping out a lot for them. And Zach Levine was as hot as a pistol he shot 4 of 5 from deep in that first half alone. And then you have players like Kobe White chipping in 2-3 balls. So hard to contain him. And then, you know, going inside was also an issue there. And for the Thunder, we still were just struggling really from everywhere. I mean, we only shot 40% in those first two quarters. And, you know, if you're looking at the 3-ball, it's even worse. We shot just 6 of 20. So nothing was falling for us. SGA kind of had to just cook up our offense yet again. And it wasn't just on drive-ins. He kind of opened up where he was shooting from in the second quarter. So he did hit two threes in the first half. And then with all the other stuff he was doing, he got 14 points. But behind him, there wasn't a ton of action. You had guys like Isaiah Roby, who actually had to start in replacement of Al Horford. He had nine, so he did solid there. And then they had Kenrich Williams, surprisingly, who had eight points in nine minutes. So 
not really the usual firepower you're seeing from our guys, and, you know, that kind of is what makes us slip in, you know, such a large drought. But anyways, heading into the third, nothing was changing, guys, and Zach Levine was still hitting. He started 6 of 7 from downtown. And this isn't a knock on Lou Dort, because let's be real here, Lou Dort is one of the best defenders in the NBA. And you can look at Levine shooting so well from downtown and just assuming that Dort, you know, was not able to play defense. But the fact that he was forcing Levine to shoot from deep is a great sign, because we know when he drives in, he's going to be shooting better than 6 for 7 if he's wide open, you know what I mean? He's pretty much automatic when he's penetrating, so... Dort was kind of making him earn his points. I mean, he got in rhythm. He was pretty much playing like a robot in the first three quarters of the game, but whatever. So he was kind of carrying them, and they got to their largest lead of the game at 22 points with nine minutes to go in the third quarter. And at this point, I was kind of just ready to write up the game summary, fire this bad boy up, and say, you know, we just couldn't come back after Levine started burying his threes, but that's not what happened. The Bulls just started fumbling the ball around. They had a huge series of turnovers that really just shifted the tides in this game. OKC strung up a 13-0 run to cut this game to single digits, and the point spread was coming from everywhere. Lou Dort in particular, he had eight points out of those 13, he was hitting it from deep. He was getting contested from there. And then he'd drive in, get his buckets. You got other people like Kenrich Williams intercepting passes. And then you got the usual suspects doing their role. But this was a huge team effort here to rack up so many points and just kind of get us back into things in this game. Because truthfully, this one should have been over at the nine minute mark in the third. But we rallied. And this wasn't like a slow-paced us getting a bucket here and there. This was rapid fire. The Bulls turning the ball over, us getting it, turning up in fast breaks, and just getting our points up and up and up. So we scored 13 points relatively fast. And we continued to strike back against the Bulls. And we cut their lead to just two points with three to go in the third. So in the span of six minutes, we cut a 22-point deficit to just two 20 points slice it right off and luckily the bulls for the bulls they were able to kind of get a bit of momentum by the end of the third quarter they ended up you know having an eight point lead at 95 to 87 through three but by no means were they entering the fourth quarter with their heads up thinking oh we got this they pretty much fumbled the bag here and I feel like a sense of nervousness had to come into them. I mean, the fact they were able to overcome that scare there when they were down, or they were only up two, that's a nice sign. But you would have to think that there must have been some nerves going into their fourth anyways. Just assessing that third quarter, though, get this. The Thunder had 19 points off of nine turnovers from the Chicago Bulls. And Lou Dort... The man, the myth, the legend, he chipped in 15 points in the quarter, and everyone just followed suit. And the Bulls, they did have their little sporadic moments in the opening and closings of the quarter, 
but they just could not find any way to stop them. I mean, the Thunder's defense was just all out. We laid all the cards out on the table, and whenever, you know, they were kind of just playing on autopilot, they were thinking, let's get this game done with and move on to our next opponent. Let's get the tape rolling for somebody else. They got a little bit too comfortable, and we snuck right back in there. So the Bulls in the first three minutes of the quarter dropped 10 points. That's where they got their largest lead of 22. And the mindset is, you know, we got it. The Thunders start getting back with those turnovers. I think Billy Donovan even called a pretty big t timeout in that third. And they just continued to keep slipping over and over. But in those last nine minutes, they only had 17 points. And you can go back to the final three minutes of the quarter. And they probably got, you know, the majority of those 17. So in the middle parts of this quarter, they were ice cold everywhere and we were able to seize that moment outscoring them 37 to 27 stitching up that gap right there in the fourth quarter this was big and this was kind of chaotic so i'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible Lori marketing got two threes to go inside the first two minutes so the bulls got back to their 11 point lead and you know they were still you know able to get shots up they didn't look like their mid third quarter selves anymore but SGA kept attacking the basket and this guy will take any sort of space and make you pay I used to be really really mad about SGA's play style like I'll be honest probably the past three to four games I have been knocking SGA even though he's been putting up solid numbers I keep knocking him because he is not looking to shoot the ball from downtown. His first motive has kind of just become attacking the basket. And if it's all clogged up, you kind of just go into this whatever mode where you get some lazy plays. But he was elite at attacking the basket. And he got us to the point where the Bulls lead was only six points. And then Chicago, they called a timeout. Billy Donovan was fed up. You know, maybe this little deja vu situation kicked in. I mean, in the third, they call that crucial timeout when the Thunder get hot. And look where it led them, you know, to a down-of-the-wire game, it seemed like. He called this one, and it paid off, though. They went on a 9-0 run to get a 16-point lead. And this is when Mark Dagnall made a super-duper ballsy move. He ended up pulling Darius Baisley out of the game for Kenrich Williams. And Darius Baisley, if we're just going to be honest, this was not his prettiest of performances. He had been cold really all throughout this week, and this game was no different. He shot just 3 of 12 in this game for 9 points, 5 rebounds, and you know, on the defensive end, not a ton was going on. He was letting Lori Markton really just shoot over him every single time. So the fact that he pulled him out, very, very gutsy, replacing him with a guy like Kenrich Williams, who was doing very solid throughout the course of this game, but he never has really had these big clutch time minutes before yet. So I think he made the right call at the moment because Baisley was kind of being a tad bit of a hindrance. He, he likes taking the ball himself, and I think whenever he started getting cold, he got a little bit of this Hamadou Diallo syndrome, if you will, where... He just wants to continue to attack, and he kind of just gets tunnel vision, and 
kind of doesn't look towards the other four teammates on the court, if you know what I mean. So he gets wiped out for Williams, a guy who really is just all about teamwork. I mean, he does the nitty gritty plays for you. He just wants to kind of hustle out things that you don't tend to see on the scoreboard and get you those, uh, those W's. So throw him in. He's instantly an energy guy and he brings OKC back into this game. Isaiah Roby was getting easy dunks down low and I'll go into him in a little bit now, but he was dominant in his second start in a row. Just getting wide open. SGA was driving in. There was extra attention brought to SGA for obvious reasons because he was torching them up. And it led to Roby just being able to slam it home on Wendell Carter Jr. or whoever they wanted to throw down in the paint. And then the next play after that, I mentioned Williams kind of baiting passes a couple quarters ago. Well, he did it again. He baited the passing lane in what seemed to be like a half-court offensive set. You know, they're throwing the ball across the court. Williams seemed to be way far behind the play. He just sprints all the way up there, snags it like a cornerback, and he was smooth sailing to the other end of the floor. He got his his little two points in. And then SGA hit a big-time three to cut the Bulls' lead back down to single digits at nine points. And this was kind of a big moment in this game, and it seemed like maybe this could have been a turning point. Isaiah Roby ended up fouling out in this game, you know, in the later parts of the fourth period. The Thunder did an excellent job clamping up on the Bulls' set. I believe that they got the Bulls to dive after a loose ball, and they ended up calling their timeout with like 1.7 seconds left. They pretty much tried to ISO and didn't work. Ball gets jarred loose, and that's kind of how that pileup happened. But anyways, they had 1.7 seconds to work with, and you just assume that play would be dead. Well, what happened was the Bulls and Billy Donovan just drew up a simple alley-oop pass to Wendell Carter Jr. Wendell Carter Jr. has the height advantage on Isaiah Roby. It was a pretty decently thrown ball. Roby was able to get active on that pass, and you'd assume that it would just be like a posterizer dunk or something. No, this ball was a few feet out from the rim, so this was more of like a catch and try to flip it right back in. Well, Roby caught some arm there because, you know, he kind of had to turn himself around and just kind of errantly flung himself over there. He gets the arm, he gets booted from the game, and then we had to stick with Mike Muscala for the course of the game. But what ended up happening was this little run that we were going on kind of got cut off. And it was more of just returning fire. Bulls were hitting a shot. We were coming right back, hitting our own shots. But we were ticking point by point closer into this game to the point that with only a minute 20 left to go, the Thunder were only down by five points. And this is where everything just goes crazy. I'm going to try to give you guys really every single possession from that point on. Zach Levine ended up being guarded by Kenrich Williams. And while he was dribbling, he was around the right wing. He was trying to make a move uh, to the corner. Ball ends up hitting him in his right leg, and the ball just flies loose. Kenrich Williams was able to go after the ball. Lou Dort, he was kind of ready for this. He went from the corner 
over to the ball. He kind of jumped over it and got the timeout call with a chance for OKC to cut this lead down to just one possession. And we ended up getting a bucket. SGA drives in, gets more people involved. You know, he gets two Chicago Bulls defenders on him, and that's going to lead to a wide open player. He kicks it out to Kenrich Williams, who had Kobe White on him. So Williams, he's more of a small forward. White, he's just your traditional point guard. So Williams took the initiative to try to body him down low, gets him in the post, and just flings it up. And he was patient with this one. Williams was not spoon-fed this. The lane was clogged up. He waited and just stayed, you know, grounded, trying to push White down and get better positioning until everybody kind of got out of the paint and he had a clear shot on the rim outside of, you know, White, who really isn't that big of a hindrance whenever you got that advantage of, of height and all that. So he flipped it up and in. Three-point lead for the Chicago Bulls. And the very next play... Kobe White jacks up again. I don't know if he's going for some redemption or whatever, but he, he set a back screen. I believe it was on Lou Dort, but yeah, he, he tried setting a back screen on the inbound, and it was just totally illegal. He was moving, so we just got the ball right back. And Lou Dort, who was our hot hand in this one outside of SGA, he got the ball from deep, and he missed the three barely. This was like a heat check for him because he really got us to the spot we were in. Couldn't get it to go. And then the Bulls had another chance to just drain the clock out and take a two-possession lead. But then another offensive foul sets in. Lori Markin tried setting a high ball screen. Got a little bit too excited to set it. His feet were moving around, so we got another shot to try to cut the lead again. And this is when it was pretty wild. SGA gets a ball again. He's very good at penetrating, as we all know. But when you're in a situation where there's hardly any time to go, I think there's probably 25 seconds when this play kicked off, I, I wouldn't be going in for twos. Like, that's just the simple math of things. I know you can try to get it up and in and then foul or try to force a steal, but... But I'm trying to go get the game tire right there. SGA was not about that. So he took the ball right into the paint. I believe he got a screen set on him to get a Kobe White matchup on him again. I think Levine may have tried to play D on him. The screen got him on a White, and he just drove right into the body of him. He spun around in the paint, flips up a shot. It's up and in. And then there was a whistle. So it was an and one with 16 seconds to go. He buried the free throw. And the final play for the Bulls really just embodies Billy Donovan's play calling. Take a listen to this. Double teamed. Has to get rid of it to Levine. Levine off the deck. Ball fake. Shot on the way. Back iron no good. And we will head to overtime as the Thunder get that defensive stop. What an absolutely insane play right there. Just trying to break things down for you because it was so just rapid pace. The ball touched four different Bulls players in this one. And Levine didn't even get the ball until there was four seconds left in the shot clock. So 
started with Laurie Markkinen. He got the ball down low, and Darius Baisley actually was thrown into this game for, like, the final possession for whatever reason. So, so it was Markkinen on Baisley, and he tried backing down on him for a couple seconds, but then he tried dishing it back up top. So, the ball goes to Kobe White. He ended up getting trapped, so he had to dish it to Otto Porter. And this is kind of when, like, everything was just going insane. So, Porter couldn't get his shot. And he just gave it to Zach Levine in the right corner for whatever reason. Like, Levine just was completely out of it. It didn't look like he was even supposed to be in the play at all. It seemed like he was a decoy of some sorts. But he gets it anyways. And he really had no room to work with. So, he tried taking a step or two into the corner and just fling a shot up. But it was like a desperation heave. The fact that you had 16 seconds to come up with the play... And this is what you draw up? It's just ridiculous. And I don't want to clown Billy Donovan. I really don't because he has he had some great moments with us. But, you know, there's all those times that people were just hating on him for these just really weird plays. Um, Maybe, you know, this is the night where they get to celebrate because this was just an absolutely terrible, terrible play. Zach Levine, he should have been the focal point of this play here. Like, he was not missing from anywhere throughout this whole entire game. He is the reason that, you know, they were able to stay in this one. He ended up dropping 35 in total, if that kind of gives you a little hint on how well he was playing. No, he just gets to sit in the corner and watch everything happen. And, you know, once none of the... And once all the smaller bits and pieces of the lineup couldn't find a shot, just had to go to Levine. And, you know, you can't expect a guy to just jack up a a prayer and it go in like that. So he ended up missing, and that was really all she wrote. I mean, ends up going to overtime. Everyone's going crazy on OKC because, like, how were they able to get back from that insurmountable deficit? I wouldn't be able to tell you. But yeah, so claw back in this one. It goes to overtime, and the first make came from Mike Muscala from downtown, and this was actually our biggest lead of the game to that point. In our first four quarters, and just in regulation, I guess, the Thunder's biggest lead was just two. So our biggest lead from you know that point was that three ball right there from Muscala, and you know we even extended our largest lead of the game because Kenrich Williams took a big time charge on the other end of things and then came back with a shot of his own to get up to five. And then Zach Levine, he was kind of trying to force stuff and, you know, he went one for two uh, from the line. So he split his, split his free throws to get it back down to four. And then about a minute later, Kobe White got a double screen set for him. He ended up hitting a three-pointer on the top of the key so gets back down to one gets a little bit scary for the thunder because there's just around a minute to go in this one and with it being this close I mean every second matters so Mike Muscala he ends up being like the x factor yet again he gets the ball from way downtown this three-pointer was well into the 30 feet range But anyways, he really didn't have that much time to set up, square 
his feet and get the shot off because everyone was kind of just swarming Muscala. I mean, he hit that first big three to start the overtime, and they were just hoping that he wouldn't be able to get it off. And, you know, he definitely was able to. He, he ends up burying that three, and we take that four-point lead back yet again. And the Bulls tried to fire back, and they just bricked at three. So, OKC just got to sit on the ball for 24 seconds. SGA tried shooting a three, didn't even hit rim, but drained the clock to 15. And Levine was able to get the ball with six seconds to go. It was a pretty weird play. Levine was not taking the ball up. He was actually just in the left corner sitting there. Otto Porter Jr. was able to drive in and see him. So kicks it out to Levine and he buries that corner three to get it to one point. He ended up like rolling his ankle right after he hit it. So there's six seconds to go. And I mean, it seemed like they'd be able to get into this one again if they were able to get a foul off in time. And they most definitely did because George Hill got the ball and pretty much instantaneously got fouled. And this guy, George Hill, has been one of the most consistent shooters in the league for years now. So you'd expect he would just bury both these free throws and, you know, they'd have to redraw up that Zach Levine prayer shot again they didn't have to do that because George Hill missed the first free throw and the second free throw went in so they had two points they were sitting on and so the Bulls had a chance to come back and actually win this one with a three and obviously these guys were trying to get a three up because they were just on a downward slope since the third quarter really it seemed like they were just kind of acted like zombies out there there wasn't a ton of energy going on like there had been through the first parts of the game so they needed to wrap it up right then and there and that's what they tried to do with their final play and take a listen he was going to make that too folks Levine across half court got a screen three straight away and he missed it wide left and the so as you guys could hear Zach Levine yet again had to try to jack up a three and Ended up not even having his feet squared up. I think his feet were shifted to like the right or something. Just a huge wall of Chicago Bulls members as well as Thunder members crowding this guy. So he had very little time once he crossed the timeline to jack up a shot. Actually got a pretty good look there. Just could not hit it. I think it hit left iron. So we ended up winning this one. And everyone on the Thunder sidelines as well as the players were just going nuts. I mean, how couldn't you have been going nuts? This was our fifth largest comeback win in franchise history at 22 points right here. So very big game and a lot of bright spots in this one. So we go back to 500. And then for Chicago, this was their fourth loss in a row by four or less points. It has been a rough week for Bulls fans. And, you know, Thunder people on Twitter, I saw they were kind of trying to rub some salt into the wounds. I'd be pretty pissed if I was a Bulls fan because they end up losing by four to the Kings and then they play the Lakers and the Clippers, both one possession losses. And then they come over to OKC and this is like, oh, you know, let's wrap up this terrible week with a big win against the Thunder, right? And that's what it looked like. And then once they kind of just started getting lackadaisical, Thunder snatches back in this one, and out of nowhere, I mean, they shouldn't have even been in this one, like, even with a minute left in the game, 
I think there was like a 99.1% chance that we were going to lose this, according to like ESPN stats. I'll go into that in a sec, but we shouldn't have been in the game with a minute left even. So they must have been pretty comfortable, and it just got taken away. So we beat them again. I would be heartbroken, and if I was Zach Levine, I would be throwing stuff around in that locker room because he has pretty much just carried them throughout the whole entire year. There's a reason he's averaging like 28 a game. It's because he has to create a ton of shots and putting up 35 in this one. And he did have some sort of supporting cast, but they didn't show up when it mattered. And Billy Donovan, for whatever reason, didn't incorporate him in any of the latter parts of the fourth quarter or overtime plays. So I'd be pissed off and you know, he must be very good at hiding his emotions because he he took it pretty uh classy walking out to the locker room. But yeah, so just going into the player notes and my thoughts, this was this was just a miraculous win from the Thunder. Every single one of our members had to bring their A game for us to come back and defeat these guys. And you really cannot pin this win to just one player in particular like you can look at the stat sheet and say that SGA who had 33 points that's a career high by the way you can say you know he was the reason that we won this one because he shot 13 of 19 3 of 5 from downtown at five boards and 10 assists so he was all over the place and really on offense was a primary reason we won but you can't just draw it up to him you know, he was unstoppable by all accounts. Like, the Bulls could not figure him out, and that's why he was able to rack up so much and get other people involved. But, you know, it wasn't like the other players were just being spoon-fed wide-open shots off of SGA. Some of them were, but I can guarantee you, you know, not all 10 of those were, and not all of our 127 points came off of him. I think a player who arguably you could say did better than SGA I don't really want to pick you know one two all that stuff but Lou Dort he played 40 minutes in this one and dropped a 20 point outing yet again second time of the season 21 points eight boards and a career high six steals six and he's the reason we were able to get the ball rolling in the third quarter he took that leadership role and buried those 15 points, got the steals we needed. Everyone just started following what he was doing, and that's how you know we were able to find a way. But just looking past the defensive side of things, let's check out the offense. Four for 11 from downtown from Dort. You know, percentage-wise, that may not be all that great, but he led our team in threes this game, and... He was our only real consistent scorer from out there besides SGA when he was pulling up. But when SGA's inside, I mean, you're not looking into account if he can shoot a three right then and there. Dort was a guy who was always just hanging around the perimeter and everyone keeps doubting him. He brought out his game seven Dort in this one because he was hitting it all. He had his moments where he looked like the greatest player of all time. And then on defense... Even though Levine was able to get in those 35 points, they weren't all penetrations. I mean, these shots that were going in, I think he'd be making on anybody. So 
8 of 14 from downtown from Levine is just unprecedented. You know, even if the gods are, the basketball gods are pinning against him. The amount of just fire he was putting under his shots in this one was ridiculous. You know, I I can't say that Dort did a bad job defensively, and especially not when he had six assists. And I think there was a little tweet. I'm sorry, I don't even know the source, but I think it said that Dort is one of three players to have 20 points, five rebounds, and five steals in a game. The other two members, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And this, I will say, these are people who are 22 and under when these happen. So he joined a pretty exclusive club tonight. But yeah, so just great performance from him. And then we have to credit Isaiah Roby having a slip in to Al Horford's shoes. And when I heard that Al Horford was out for this game, I was kind of in panic mode because I didn't even know if Baisley would be playing either. I just thought that Roby, you know, having to play against Carter Jr. or Markton or whoever would have been a problem. And then if Baisley was out as well, he would be having to do a ton of heavy lifting. He didn't have any sorts of issues. 14 points, four rebounds, and three assists in 26 minutes on six of 12 shooting. No complaints with him. All he brought was just positivity to this one. We were able to leave him in there for a significant amount of minutes and just be able to take it toe-to-toe with the Chicago Bigs. And he was even pulling them out at times four threes because his stroke does look very very good he even hit a three in this one so he was a threat everywhere on both ends did a lot of stuff for us I think one person that needs to be mentioned though is Kenrich Williams he had a career performance 14 points on six of six shooting five rebounds two assists and two steals. He got down to it. He was not the guy that was burying all the shots, but he was the guy who let us find a way to overtime in that fourth quarter because when Baisley was out there trying to put defense on Markkinen, nothing was working. I think Markkinen, yeah, he dropped 16 in this one, and I think all of them were probably on Baisley. And whenever he was guarding other people, it was an issue. It wasn't Baisley's best game, and Williams had to, you know, kind of come in on short notice and try to ball out for us, and that he did. I mean, he was able to provide literally everything that we needed from the offense, from the defense, stealing the ball. I think that um, that time that he ended up catching the uh, ball almost like an interception, per se, that was one of the biggest plays of the night so you know he, he may go a bit under the radar but just know that he very well was one of the top players in this game on really both sides so and then looking further down the board Mike Muscala only shot two of seven from downtown so percentages hurt but where he was getting those two threes from made it very very significant two overtime threes he provided six of our nine points in that period so he was that like secret weapon we had that the bulls were not prepared for 
and he he was the reason we were able to kind of milk this one out at the end there so props to him and then you got Teo Maladone who quietly dropped 10 of his own four of eight shooting two of five from downtown he only played 15 minutes and the reason is because I mean it's neck and neck really that whole way I mean you know a tendency that we've seen with Mark Dagnalt is he likes to pull out our guys whenever the game plan says so so he just strictly looks at his game plan that he has laid out like he does not really give a lot of flexibility unless the game is out of arm's reach he has a set you know rule of who's playing when where you know what their job should be he's got that all written down somewhere right he was able to kind of just expand this here and kind of just broke the mold in this one this was a bit of an outlier and that's why Guys like Maladone only played 15, Poku only played 12, and Diallo, surprisingly, only played 14. He was one of six, so he just gave a lot of our minutes to some of the key contributors, and whenever we were riding on that streak, he wasn't even thinking of bringing other people to the scores table. He wanted to let it ride out and see where it took us, and where it took us was the finish line, so really big credit to Mark Dagnalt in how he coached in this one because I think honestly he may have just outcoached Donovan. Donovan was not really that smart when it came down to the crucial minutes and moments of this game. Dagnalt realized that, you know, there was a little beam of hope in that third and just totally ran with it. And all the guys ran with it. And Dagnalt actually credited George Hill, who really was a non-factor, he shot 3 of 11, so it wasn't like he was being a, a big piece on the offensive end, but he credited him with this. He said that in halftime, in the halftime, he kind of just lit a fire under all of the guys in the locker room, and that leadership quality that we've been talking about with Hill just showed here. I mean, Dagnall literally said it in his interview and then Kenrich Williams backed it up and even added more to the story saying that George Hill gave a really good speech to the guys in the locker room and you know I can only just guess what he said but it's got to be along the lines of you know don't give up yet or you know whatever it is obviously he was giving some emotions to his teammates and they took that to heart and started just bawling out because emotions really took over with this one you know, with no fans, you would kind of think that getting on a streak like this would be very, very difficult. And I think there was even like a funny question directed at Williams, like, did the added crowd noise, you know, fire you up? I think he said yes. It was more of like a, you know, whatever, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't really worrying about it kind of thing. But, you know, the atmosphere there is really weird. It's like a open gym with just speakers blasting everywhere, you know? So... The fact they were able to get so hot, it all has to come down to, you know, what was going on in their inner psyche. They wanted it bad. They wanted it bad, and they took it right from the Bulls. So, you know, there was a lot of just highlight moments from here. I mean, there were great moments from everyone in this ball game, and I mean, even though Baisley did a bad job in this one, um, and and Mark Dagnall even said this wasn't his most impressive performance. He still said that he did like um, how Basie was able to accept the result of not playing in the 
big moments of the game. So good with him and just good with everyone on the squad. So as a Thunder fan, we should be very, very excited with this one. This is potentially the game of the year. So for all you guys who just turned off the channel whenever we were down 22, you know, you, you just can never give up in these ball games because this game is so special and anything can happen within those hardwood lines. But other than that, guys, I have got nothing for you. I thank you all for listening to the podcast. I truly do. I've seen a lot more of you guys coming in to listen to the pods lately. So I really do appreciate it. Really do. So if you guys ever have any sort of feedback or suggestions you have for me, my ears are wide open. Uh, Whatever you guys would like to see, I will do my best to try to make it happen. But yeah. Uh, With that being said, thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time. See ya.